I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. The year 2014 was one for the record books for the biotech industry. In part one of a two-part podcast, we take a look back at the year that was with Adam Feuerstein, senior columnist for TheStreet.com. Feuerstein discusses the growing controversy over drug pricing, the newsmakers of 2014, and lessons from the Dendrion bankruptcy. Adam, thanks for joining us. Hey, it's good to be here, Danny. We're going to talk about the year that was in biotech. Uh, a few days ago, I think I would have started at the front end of 2014 with the question of Gilead's hepatitis C drug, Sibaldi, and the controversy over its pricing. But let's start at the other end with a decision yesterday <laughs> by the pharmacy benefits manager, Express Scripts, to exclude Sibaldi and other high-priced hepatitis C drugs from its formulary in favor of AdVs recently approved by Carapac, for which it negotiated a special price, reportedly around $51,000 a year for a course of therapy versus right. 84000 for Sibaldi. What, what, what should we make of that? Well, you know, look, I, I don't, I don't want to sound too alarmist, but I and I and I and I wrote this, you know, I, I wrote a, a column about this, you know, you know, on, on the day that the the whole Express Scripts uh, Abby thing came out. Is you know, I, I, do, I do kind of see this as 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 potentially a sort of tectonic shift in 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 the biotech industry, and and not necessarily in a good way. And and I and what I mean by that is is you know, we we we've we've worried about the sustainability of drug pricing for a very long time. Um, it's something that everyone has talked about, but sort of kicked the can down the road and not, and not really, we talked about it, but not really worried about it. And, and it hadn't had a demonstrably, a demonstrable impact on the sector. And I think the Express Script thing was the first time where we saw a, a truly innovative drug, right? I mean, I think no one argues that, you know, we can argue about the price, but no one will argue that Savaldi slash Harvoni are, are true innovation, right? We're talking about, you know, curing, uh, curing hepatitis C with a single pill taken once a day, 12 weeks. Um, and for the first time, you know, a, a health plan, a, a PBM has said, we're not gonna, we're not, we're gonna restrict that. We're gonna, we're gonna kick that off our formulary because there's another, there's a, there's another equivalent therapy that we get cheaper. And that is just, to me, that was, that's just an amazing event. Um, and I think that sort of brings the whole drug pricing question, like it just slaps us in the face, right? And, and now, you know, and what I wrote is that I said, you know, I said in the past, you know, bio, you know, investors would, 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 when they met with biotech investors or biotech executives, they would, they would say, you know, what are you going to price your drug? How are you going to price your drug? And I think the question now becomes, well, well, what, you know, what will PBMs or health plans allow you to price your drug? I think that that becomes the new question. And that's, and that, introduces a lot of uncertainty uh, into the sector moving forward. Well, Gilead, which has been a stellar performer largely because of Sibaldi, which which shattered expectations, a, a record launch for a drug, fell 13% yesterday. If you think back to March and the point where the market broke in the beginning of the year, it was when 
lawmakers raise questions about pricing of Sabaldi and trigger right. fears among investors of, mm-hmm. of price controls and similar measures. Are we going to see Express Script's decision here reverberate more broadly through the sector? And if so, well, I, how broadly? I think, I, think, I think that a lot of that depends on, on the follow-through, right? So, so you're right. So we, you know, the, the market dipped in March, and, and part of that was because Congress was making a big stink about this. But I think the difference between uh, that and what we've seen today is was, while Congress talked about a lot about it, you know, they didn't do anything, right? There's no follow-through. And, but Express Scripts, if you look back, you know, they, they said a year ago, that, look, look, this is a problem, and we're going to do this, and they just did it, right? So that's kind of where maybe this is a little bit different and a little bit, we, we should take this more seriously, because unlike Congress, which is, you know, do nothing, and, and, and nobody really takes them seriously, um, uh, the, you know, the, the private health plans and the PBMs, um, they seem willing to, to actually take this issue on and, and, and do things about it. So looking ahead, I mean, you know, you, you hear, you know, you, you know, you hear this guy, Steve Miller, who's the chief medical officer for Expression Team, he's like the most widely interviewed, you know, guy in healthcare in the last couple of days, right? He's been everywhere talking about the, what they're doing. You know, he said, right? He said, look, this is not just about hepatitis C, but we're looking at, you know, we're looking at, uh, RA, we're looking at other cancer, we're looking at other diseases where we may be able to do similar things. Um, so, well, let's see what he does, right? Let's see what happens looking forward, uh, and whether we see these kinds of situations take place in other disease areas with other companies. Well, you know, there was an argument being made around hepatitis T drugs, hepatitis, hepatitis C drugs in particular, that, that payers would be able to drive pricing lower through competition. Mm-hmm. And there was, at the time, some case from drug makers that they were not going to compete on price. But does the AbbVie Express Scripts deal suggest that this is how the price of specialty drugs will be controlled? Well, I, I think it does, right? I, I think in, in, in certain situations where, uh, where you have uh, interchangeability, uh, you have a lot of price count, you, know, you have competition, um, you know, those are the kind of, uh, those are the kind of things that you sort of look for, uh, where, you know, you might have these kinds of situations where, uh, a PBM says, look, you know, you, you need to come to us, you need to come with a lower price or we're going to exclude you. You know, again, I think the thing that was different to me about this one was not necessarily the, the disc, the price discount, right? I think, you know, look, we all know that drug companies, um, negotiate discounts for health plans and, and, and through PBMs, that, that happens all the time. The thing that was different to me about this one was like, not only that happened and Express Ships told Gilead that they're frozen off the, they're being frozen off the formulary, right? So there was like the, it was the combination of the two that I think to me made this one more significant and different than, than what we've seen in the past. Well, as you do this time of year, you've gone through your nominees for the best and worst CEOs of 2014. Though not your winners, it, it's hard not to notice that several of them were heads of companies that were the target of big dollar takeovers, Presenza, Identix, and Intermune. Right. How much of a genius does being acquired make a biotech CEO? You know, I, I, I don't, you know, I, you know, I think, you know, part of, you know, one of the, one of the kind of criteria that I use for, for that award is, is really is, you know, is, is the return that, you know, the return on investment from shareholder, from a shareholder perspective, like how well did the stock do? So, you know, when you, when your company gets bought for a hefty premium, you know, you can, you can, you can turn to your shareholders and say, look, I made you a lot of money. Um, so that's where, you know, that's why, you know, that's why the identics guy, you know, that's why, I mean, they're on that list because for that reason. And that, you know, that's a 
certainly legitimate reason. It doesn't make them you know, like you know getting bought doesn't necessarily make anybody a genius. Um, you know, it, there's there's obviously luck involved, <laughs> you know, and other things. But you know, I think that's kind of part of it, right? You know, it's just you know, it's it's you know, you're getting the bang for the buck so, uh, if you're a shareholder. So the winners were shared pick David Shekin and, and Nick Leslie. Uh, He's not the guy that dumped Jessica Simpson, right? <laughs> no, okay. no, Nick Ashley, right, and, and David Shankheim, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah see, as you know, Agios and Bluebird Bio, what, what's the rationale in linking them as a single nominee, and, and why did they deserve the nod? Well, well, you know, it's funny when I was coming up with the nod, and, and they were both going to be on the list either way, and then I thought, you know, it'd be funny to kind of put them together. First of all, there, I mean, they they go way back. They 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 have uh, they each worked at one time. They worked at Millennium. Uh, pharmaceuticals. Um, they sit on each other's boards. They're they're very close friends. Um, you know, they, they there's a lot of sort of interpersonal uh, and, and sort of business connections between the two of them. So I kind of link them together. Plus, I think that the, the two companies, you know, Agios and Bluebird, I think are just are both really are representative of kind of this new class of biotech company that's come out in the last couple of years. You know, those are both relatively recent IPOs. You know, they're doing things. I think they're, you know, they're undertaking drug development that is, it's really sort of has the potential to be, you know, kind of game changing. You know, I mean, if you look at a company like Bluebird, which, you know, has sort of resurrected the gene therapy world. Um, you know, and what we're talking there potentially is, you know, curing disease through gene therapy, which is, you know, a pretty amazing thing to do. So, you know, and Agios, you know, is kind of doing the same things with cancer, you know, kind of, you know, looking at cancer metabolism and sort of the genetics of cancer. So I, that, that's why that I sort of put them together, uh, you know, in, in sort of one, as one nominee. And But both of them, you know, even separately, both of them are, are very deserving of the award. So I got to say, on the worst CEOs, the the list of nominees, it was a, a colorful list with a tinge of the bizarre. <laughs> it's, always, it's always that way. Well, <laughs> you know, not surprisingly, it, it seemed to be driven by bad decision making, making, but but not so much in the Wharton sense, more like the ABC after school special. <laughs> Any pattern or theme there? You know, I I think that list. You know, again, I sort of have fun with the with the worst CEO list. Um, you know, yeah, I think that there's bad decision making. There's there's inexperience. There's immaturity. There's just you know, there's always sort of a there's always sort of a level of for some of them it's always sort of a level of flim flam, you know, that goes on with some of these companies. And you know, we all know that you know for every great biotech company, there are there are more than a few companies that just really are not deserving of of being uh, you know sort of investment worthy and and sort of exist just to you know they seem to exist just to sort of uh, you know, keep the paychecks flowing. So I think that that you know, I try to I try to sort of uh, recognize those those CEOs on that list. And yeah, and there's and there's there's always there's an abundance of candidates every year for the worst for the worst CEO list. One story that was more like an exclamation port point to an older one was the Dendrion bankruptcy. Uh, yeah, a remarkable place for a company to end after bringing a breakthrough cancer therapy to market. What's the lesson from that? Well, I think the lesson there is that um, you know is that you need more than you need more than sort of innovation and techno and a technological advance to to become a successful company. You know, there are you know we sort of forget that um, you know we don't talk a lot about manufacturing and um, you know delivery issues and things like that. They're not sexy. 
Um, but they're in, very important when it comes to running a successful business. You know, we, you know, in the case of Dendrion, you know, they ran into, they ran into mistakes, mistakes they made, ran into problems with, you know, with, whether it's pricing or again, delivery, manufacturing, uh, you know, the cost of manufacturing, you know, that was one of the big issues there is that, you know, they're, you know, that company's cogs, they could never really, they could never really get to the point where, uh, you know, they could, Provenge for the profitable product to produce, um, and so all those things we kind of investors and people who look at biotech sort of tend to maybe not focus on those things as much. Um, but Dendrion is a good lesson in in that those things are vitally important. One of the biggest healthcare stories in 2014 was the Ebola outbreak in Africa. I think one yeah. of the surprises here is the pipeline the biopharmaceutical industry had in process, largely thanks to worries about bioterrorism. Do these drugs and vaccines get developed and, and will investors care? Um, I think those are two separate issues. I think that they do get developed um, because this, you know, this Ebola outbreak was, you know, one of the worst, you know, the worst we've ever seen. And it seems like there is um, enough impetus now, both from a sort of a public health and for, even from a sort of a private foundation, you know, the Gates Foundation and et cetera, who feel, I think it seems like now there's been some kind of tipping point where like, you know, now it's, all right, we need, we need something. We need a vaccine. We need drugs to treat these, treat this disease. Um, you know, will investors care? Um, I I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, I think they care when it's in the headlines. Um, it's a sort of a, a momentum thing. It's a headline-driven thing. You know, are are you know is is Glaxo or any of these companies that are developing Ebola are they going to make a ton of money um, to selling an Ebola vaccine? I, I would say no. I think it's a you know I think it's kind of a a blip in that respect. So I, I don't think long term. I don't think investors are really going to care about Ebola. Well, we're going to continue our conversation with Adam Feuerstein next week. Take a look at the year ahead, the upcoming J.P. Morgan conference, and the companies to watch. Adam Feuerstein, senior columnist for TheStreet.com. Adam, thanks as always. Hey, thanks, Danny. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, Subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.